add my welcome. Thank you all for being here. It's good to see you all. It's good to see some familiar faces in amongst us. It's always good to, to have um, beloved ones come and visit and to be back among us. And more than that, it's great to be able to come before our God and our Savior and worship on the first day of the week. It is such a blessing and such a privilege that we have. Thank you all for being here this morning. I want to talk this morning, uh, continue our series on uh, this theme of highest and best. And as we talked about in introducing these series of lessons, what we're talking about is giving our best to God. And not only that, but, but looking to His Word and the Holy Scriptures and understanding the highest end of that. In other words, what is the, the most truth that we can find about particular subjects? And so that informs us how we might best serve our God. I have that quote there from Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. You see, that's how God expects to be, to be honored. The first fruits, the best that we have. And he expects us to, uh, to give to him those first fruits. And he also expects us to know his word, to learn more about him, to know him, so that we indeed can give him our highest and our best. Last month we talked about singing. And we did so because we are looking at what has been deemed the five acts of worship. And we're taking those five acts and we're saying, okay, what is the best that we can do in each one of these? So last time we talked about our best singing. How is it that we can best join our voices together in song and sing praises to our God? This morning I'd like for us to think about our best praying. How is it that we can pray our best collectively and on our own? But mostly we'll look at the collective side, since we're talking about our corporate worship, our worshiping together, worshiping our God. So this morning we want to be looking at our best praying. So in trying to decide how to best, best serve this, serve this lesson, I thought that we might look at it in this familiar way. The who, what, where, when, why, and how. That serves um, as a structure which we'll look at it. Who it is we are to pray to, what we are to pray, where, those kind of things. So this will serve to inform us as we go through the lesson. So first let's understand who it is we are to pray to. And that, that might seem like an oversimplistic um, area to study, but let's take a moment and think about it. Who it is that we should be praying to and who is it that should be praying and that's where we'll begin. Who should pray? Does Scripture tell us, indeed, who it is that ought to pray to God? Well, it does. Here's one example in Psalm 66. This is what I read a moment ago. Shout joyfully to God, who? All the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship. And will sing praises to you. 
They will sing praises to your name. You see, God is worthy of the praise of all the earth because he has created all the earth. He's created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. He is that great, awesome, and mighty, powerful God. So he expects all the earth to praise him for it. Now we understand what that means and understand that in order to, to, to best pray to him, we need to be a child of his. We'll touch on that a little bit later as we go on. But just in the most general terms, the psalmist there says, Shout joyfully to God all the earth. God expects his creation to praise him, to pray to him. And indeed, that leads into the next part of this. To whom should we pray? We just read there about shouting to God. You know, that is, again, maybe seems like an overly simplistic question to ask, but it's important. To whom should we pray? In Psalm 5, it says in verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for my help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will render or I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. You see, it's important to understand that we have to pray to, to God the Creator, our Creator, the whole earth's Creator, the whole world's Creator. In Matthew chapter 6, as our Lord is uh, telling his disciples how they ought to pray, and we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail later on, but let's get this from the very beginning. How Jesus tells his disciples they ought to pray. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, it's important how we address our prayers, but it's also important who we address them to. His disciples had asked him, how do we pray? And Jesus says, pray in this way. And the very first thing he addresses is whom should be addressed. And it's important in understanding that as we, we think about the highest and best. Who is it that we should, uh, should pray to? Is it Jesus? Well, Jesus himself prays to the Father. We don't see anybody else praying to Jesus as a matter of doctrine. We don't see anybody else praying to the Holy Spirit. Now, we might say, well, you know, that, that is God, the Godhead. And the argument might be made for that. But in our purpose, what we're looking to do is to, what is the highest and best? What is the most best way? I know that's terrible grammar. What is the best way that we can address God? And Jesus tells us, our Father who is in heaven. So why not follow that pattern? Jesus said it was good enough for his disciples. It ought to be good enough for us. So when we pray, this is whom we ought to address, our Father who is in heaven. Understand that that is who we are to address. Understand this also, that we have an advocate for the Father, to the Father. And that is Jesus Christ himself. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, Paul writes, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So you see, this qualifies it even more and helps us to understand how we ought to offer prayers to our Father. And that is in the name of Jesus Christ. Through Him, in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through Him to God. 
So the highest and best that we might address our God is understanding that we are addressing our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. That's why you'll often hear men as they pray. In the conclusion of their prayer, they'll say, in the name of the Lord we pray, or in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And that's appropriate. I'll submit that it doesn't always have to be said, but it certainly should always be addressed in the prayer. It should always be understood for the one who is praying that we're praying in the name of Jesus Christ to God the Father. That's our highest and best as far as to whom we pray. Next, we understand or we will look at what it is that we are to pray for. What is it that we pray for? Well, we'll make the argument here. We pray for everything. That's a long list, isn't it? How do we narrow that down? We'll talk about that in just a second. But look what Philippians 4 verse 6 says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God. What does that leave out? Well, it doesn't leave out anything, except what we'll talk about here in a second. Sometimes I think we think this is too small to take to prayer or take to God in prayer, or this is, I can handle this on my own. Scripture makes it clear that we need to be taking these things to God in prayer. We sing that song, take it to the Lord in prayer. And everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you know. See how these prayers are qualified along the way? See how this serves what we're talking about, the highest and best? Let's, let's, let's get every ounce of truth out of this we can. So we're praying to God our Father through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're taking everything to him in prayer. Now, I mentioned that we qualify that everything in understanding this, that we need to be praying for everything according to his will. Look over in the book of James, James chapter 4. We need to be taking things to him according to his will. And let's, let's understand what that means. In James chapter 4 and verse 15, this is after James is, is saying, you know, those who will say, tomorrow we'll go to such and such and city and we'll work and we'll make a profit. Um, but he says there in verse 14, you don't know what your life's going to be like tomorrow. What you should say in verse 15, instead, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. You know, that, that's how we qualify this. If the Lord wills. We shouldn't be praying for things outside of God's will. One, he's not going to answer those prayers. But that's a waste of time. If the Lord wills, we'll go such and such and, and make a profit or, or do whatever it is. Qualified in that way. Look back over in verse 3 of James 4. It says, You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, that helps to inform us what we're talking about here, right? If we're asking for our own pleasure, instead of asking according to the will of God, he's not going to hear that prayer. Certainly not going to answer it. So it's about aligning our will with the will of God. Therefore, we can know our prayers will be answered. Look over in 1 John chapter 3. This speaks to the same line here that we're talking about. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him. You see, that's a, that's a bold statement, isn't it? Whatever we ask, we receive from him. But here's the qualifier. 
because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. See, if we're following after the will of God, if we're seeking to be pleasing to him, following his commandments, those are the prayers that he hears and answers. Let's not forget that he does these things according to his own will, according to his own time frame. But scripture says that's, that he hears that and he answers. Because our prayers ought to be done in such a way that they align themselves with the will of God. So our duty then is to, is to make sure that we are praying for those things that are according to the will of God. Furtherance of the gospel, benevolence of, the, the, of needy saints, you know, those kind of things, those are the, uh, are the will of God. Love for the brethren, those are the things that we ought to be praying for. Where do we pray? Well, a couple of things that we'll look at and for our purposes here. First of all, let's understand about praying in private. Look over in Matthew chapter 6. This is, of course, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he's given instructions about certain things. Here, this leads into how uh, his disciples are to pray in verse 9. But before that, in verse 5 and 6, it says, And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. You see, if that's what your purpose is, if, if you're praying so that others can see you pray, then, then that's your reward. Others have seen you pray. And that's it. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will repay you. You see, this is in the context of, of something a little bigger. Go back to verse 1. It says there, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. See, this is in the context of these hypocrites who, who give alms and and pray and make these uh, big to-dos over both of those things, they're doing it to be seen by men. They're doing it to be pleasing to men. Jesus is saying, you need to be doing this to be pleasing to your Father. So when you pray, don't stand on the street corner and pray. Go into your, into your house, into your closet, close the door, and pray to God. Now, does that mean that's the only way we can pray? No. He's talking about in the context here of, of praying to be seen by men. That's the context. So we can pray in public, which is what we'll talk about next. And we'll see the scriptures here that help us understand that. So let's not use this to say that we can only pray in private. That's not, that's not right. The context here is Jesus is saying, don't be praying to be seen by men. Be praying to be pleasing to God. But we can pray in public. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There's lots of going on in the, the church at Corinth, and Paul had to address a lot of things, and one of the things is that they, they weren't properly handling the spiritual gifts that they were given, and they weren't properly um, ordering their worship, it seems, because he corrects them on a lot of things. They weren't properly ordering their worship to be pleasing to God, so he has to make some corrections about that. In 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 15, he says, What is the outcome then? 
listen, I shall pray with the spirit and I shall pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. We brought this verse up last time we were talking about singing. It serves both singing and praying. And it helps us to understand that we're singing with the mind and we're singing with the spirit also. That's spirit and truth, right? That's what we're talking about here. We want to know exactly what the words of the song say because that's the truth part of it. Make sure that we're doing right. But the Spirit has to be engaged also. So he says here, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. Praying with the mind means we know what we're to be praying for. Our prayers are in alignment with God's will. They have to be in the Spirit also. We have to engage that part of ourselves too so that we're engaged in prayer. But look what verse 16 says. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? Now, in the specific context, he's talking about praying and speaking in tongues, and there's no one there to, um, to translate. It doesn't do anybody any good because they don't know what you're saying. So we can understand that what's being said here and the prayers that are being offered... How is it that we know where to say the amen if you don't know what they're saying? So this helps us to understand that public prayer is, is appropriate and should be done, as we read in the rest of this, orderly, righteously. But it is to be done in public, and we pray here in public. Russ offered a prayer a few minutes ago. So that's totally appropriate. We can pray in public. We can pray wherever wherever we want to, but do it appropriately. Do it in the way that has been prescribed. So when do we pray? Well, let's look at a couple of things. First of all, we can pray in the morning. <laughs> Goes without saying, right? Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning, heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray in the morning. O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. All right, so that's one part of the day. We can pray in the morning, right? The psalmist says so. That's what he's doing. Absolutely. That's a good time to pray. It's a good time to start your day off the right way. By praying to our God and our Creator. So we can certainly pray in the morning. But guess what? There's other times of the day we can pray as well. In Nehemiah 1, um, as Nehemiah is receiving the news that the walls of Jerusalem are, are in disrepair, and he is saddened by that, and his prayers to God, that, as, as will unfold, that he can go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the walls. But here in Nehemiah 1, verse 6, it says, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night. On behalf of the sons of, uh, of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. In my father's house we have sinned. See, Nehemiah makes the point here that he's praying day and night. So we got morning, we got day and night. Some other examples here. In Luke 6, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. That's, of course, speaking of our Lord. See, our Lord was in prayer a lot. Here in Luke 6 and verse 12, Luke points out it, that he was praying all night. And we know about the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, of Gethsemane. 
and the prayers that were being offered there. Look over in 2 Timothy, or look here, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, and as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Stephen Paul, as he's praying for these others that are on his mind, he says that he's praying night and day. So that helps us to understand that we can pray anytime, all the time. Anytime and all the time. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. So we've got the morning, got the day, got the night. Paul sums it up. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And I made this point in the past, and I'll make it again. Does that mean that from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, or if we're going to pray all night, right, because that's what has been said already, that means we spend 24 hours a day in prayer. It's going to be hard to get other things done. It's going to be hard to, to work with our hands. It's going to be hard to serve our brethren. It's going to be hard to do those other commandments that we have if we're spending all our time in prayer. What does it mean then to pray without ceasing? I've made the point that it means that whatever interval you're praying at, if it's all morning, if it's all day, if it's all night, don't stop. Don't take a break from that. Continue in your prayer, whatever times that might be. If you pray in the morning, then pray every morning. If you pray at night, then pray every night. Continually offering up your prayers. Pray without ceasing. So we can pray in the morning, we can pray day and night, and we can pray any time and all the time. And we, Paul exhorts the Thessalonian brethren there to don't stop praying. Why do we pray? Why is it that we pray? Well, let's understand the easiest way, first of all, is because God tells us to pray. Look in 1 Thessalonians. We just referenced that. Let's, let's look here a little bit more detail. 1 Thessalonians 5. We read there, 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And that's, that's, that's the what, right? Here's the why, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's the simple answer. Why do we pray? Because God tells us to. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Why? Because this is God's will for you. This is what God wants you to do. So that's what we ought to be doing. Now, as is with, with God on so many things, there's a command, but there's also something that's behind the command as far as the, the side of it, the application side of it. And that is that the prayer and the prayers that we offer are for our own good. Does God need, does God, are we served, or is God served by our hands? No, Acts 17 tells us that he is not. There's nothing that we can do to, to serve God as far as that, that he needs help with something. He doesn't need to hear our prayers in order that he can move on and, and get on with his day, if you'll excuse the, the crude reference. He doesn't need to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. And it's good for us. Look over in Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> 
Philippians chapter 4. This is a good place to go. Very encouraging words here. This is underlined and highlighted in my Bible. I hope it is in yours. Philippians 4, beginning of verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We read that a minute ago, right? In the context of what it is that we should pray for, everything. Look what he says in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, that gets to the why. It's for our own good. If we're praying, praying and giving uh, everything and, and by prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God, what does that do for us? Paul tells us the peace of God surpasses all comprehension. So guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's the why as far as the application section to us. That's why we should pray. So we have the peace of God. So that we're going to him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so we can have that peace. What a blessing that is. Let's talk about the how. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. First, let's understand this. Let, let, as we, we're talking about our highest and best, let's, let's get some terminology more correct. As a teacher of mine used to say, more better. Lots of people refer to this, and probably even in your Bible you might have a note that says the Lord's Prayer, above verses 9 through, 13, through 15 or so. The Lord's Prayer. Well, I would submit to you that a better name for that would be the Model Prayer. You see, if you look over in John chapter 17, um, when our Lord is, is with his apostles and he's... Uh, spending that last time on earth with them. In John chapter 17, he offers a prayer. That's more, uh, more better. That's more the Lord's Prayer than this. The Lord's Prayer is that prayer in other places as well, but certainly John chapter 17, when he prays for his disciples and prays for unity, and he prays for them, that's the Lord's Prayer. What we have here is a model prayer. Remember, his disciples have asked him, or, or verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need for him in this way. Pray then in this way. I think it's in Luke's account where they um, mention about how it is that we should pray. So this is the model prayer. This, Jesus is telling us, here's how your prayer ought to be structured. And it begins there in... Uh, with verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. We've already talked about that. It starts with who we address the prayer to. And that's important. So we have here the model prayer. We're not going to go through it line by line, but I want you to, to call this to your attention. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Look what it says next. Thy will be done. Remember how we've been talking about aligning our own prayers with the will of the Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Providence. Providence. God, give us what we need in this day. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Help us in this world. Forgive our debts 
or you forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's the supplication, right? Help us. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's again recognizing who it is that we're praying to. An awesome, wonderful, great creator, God the Father. Our highest and best is what we're focused on. Our prayers ought to to fall into that. We shouldn't be flippant about what we're praying for. We shouldn't be conversational to to a point of, of like our everyday speech when we talk to our God. The other side of that is we don't need to be praying to him as a matter of rote or repetition. So we got to fall in the middle of that. We can't be so conversational in our tone as to forget who it is that we're addressing. We're addressing the creator of all things. So there's a certain tone and a certain way in which we address him that we should honor because of who he is. And on the other side is that we shouldn't be so locked in repetition that the prayers don't mean anything. Because then we're losing sight of the spirit of the prayer. Remember what Paul said, I will pray with the mind, I will pray with the spirit also. We've got to know how, what the will of God is so that we can structure our prayer and pray for the things that he, are pleasing to him. But we can't lose sight of that we're doing this in the spirit. We have to engage our spiritual side as well. So our prayer shouldn't be flippant. It shouldn't be done as a, a matter of repetition or rote. Some things are appropriate. And we should understand who we are addressing and address him and give him the best. The Hebrew writer talks about the, the fruit of our lips. You know, these are the sacrifices that we make to God. We don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. What we offer are the things that we say to God, the singing to God, the prayers to God. These are sacrifices in his eyes. So we need to make sure that we're giving him the highest and the best making those sacrifices without blemish from the first of our fruits and make sure that they are pleasing to God. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one, to understand what it means to be in the kingdom, to be a part of of, uh, the the worship that we come together here on the first day of the week, to be truly engaged in that as as a citizen of the kingdom. If as a child of God you're not participating and not being a a good citizen in the kingdom, I would encourage you to to think about all these things that we've been talking about. Make sure that you are doing the highest and best that you can do in your own life, in your own worship, and especially when we come together, that you might encourage and admonish each other while you're here. If you have the needs of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.